Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Design B&B is looking for both a designer and a senior designer in Chicago, Illinois, two separate positions. Fidelity Investments is looking for a principal designer for their UX design and concepting team. Now, this is a remote position, but they are also open to candidates in Boston, Massachusetts. UC Davis is looking for an assistant professor in interaction slash graphic design for their Department of Design in Davis, California. And the University of Texas at Austin is looking for a tenured senior colleague, associate or full professor in design for their Department of Design in Austin, Texas. For just $99, we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of listeners. We also offer an annual job board subscription for companies and organizations. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings and others. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, again, I want to let you know that we just released our 2021 holiday gift guide. Now, we usually release it in December, like right around December 1st. But of course, this year is a year like none other, just like last year was. And so because we know that shipping is probably going to be a nightmare, the supply chain is super backed up, why not go ahead and push the list out early? So hopefully you can get a chance to check it out and get some of the great things that we've listed this year. So you can check that out on our website. There'll be a banner at the top of the page, revisionpath.com, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Now let's take some time out and thank our accessibility sponsor for this episode, Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Ronika Patterson, an Associate Creative Director at Hawkeye in Dallas, Texas, and the co-creator of the Unwritten Rules Project. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. I'm Ronika Patterson. I'm an Associate Creative Director uh, with an Art Director background. I work at Hawkeye, which is an agency, an ad agency in Dallas, Texas. I've been at Hawkeye for about four and a half years. And I work on the Capital One account. So we do just basically a little bit of everything for Capital One, but a lot of uh, CRM and direct mail, email kind of messaging for them. Now we've had quite a few advertising folks on the show, probably over the, since the beginning of Revision Path, but certainly over the past year or so. How has it been like adjusting to the work from home life? It's had its ups and downs. I think You know, when we first started last year, there was definitely a lot of anxiety for me. I'm a kind of an introvert. And so I really relish having my time, you know, at my home, you know, with my family away from work. And I think there was just a lot of nervousness on our team when we kind of first went home. And so I was just getting like pinged all night, seven, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night through our messaging apps. And I was just like, finally, I think like, guys, we still need to have some boundaries here, even though we're at home. And so that stuff is kind of leveled out. But, you know, there's still, you know, I've got a three-year-old daughter. And so there's times when she's at home and trying to work. And my wife and I are kind of juggling, like, okay, who's who's got her now? And it's been a challenge. I'll say that uh, from a creative standpoint, I don't feel like our the work for our team has dipped any. Like, I feel like we've actually been a little bit more creative 
working from home, just, I don't know, I think there's a freedom of being able to kind of work at your own pace with things. Whereas if you're in an office, there's like a little bit more like, okay, let's, how are things coming? You know, Um, Mm -hmm. but this has definitely been my most creative year in a while in terms of just the types of ideas that I've had, the thinking I've been able to do. And I'm grateful for that. Oh, yeah, it's been ups and downs. (laughs) Definitely. How long did it sort of take for you to sort of get into a groove where you're like, okay, I can do this day to day? Oh, man, I think maybe like over the summer thing, like maybe the fall of last year of 2020. I think that's when things kind of started to level out. So it was like a good six months of it just being very chaotic, not, you know, chaotic in the sense like, oh, I wish we could go back to the office, but just like, this is just a lot. And I know that it's a lot more than it would be if we were in the office. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that fall is pretty much when it started to kind of feel like, okay, I feel like I've got the handle of this and just wasn't as intense. (laughs) Let's talk about your work at Hawkeye. You mentioned you're an associate creative director. Is the Capital One account kind of the only project you're working on or do you work with other clients? Yeah, I work with a couple of other clients just kind of on project by project basis. I'm dedicated to Capital One, our team that I work on. There's about 30 of us. I think we're one of the larger accounts in the agency. And so we work pretty much primarily on them. But, you know, there are little things that come in um, in the door that we can kind of help out with for other clients. So I'll say it's about 90, about a 90-10 split. Mm. So let's say like a new project comes in. Talk to me about that process. Like, where do you come in? How do you work with the particular client? Like, how does that work? So as an associate creative director, I'm kind of in kind of a half manager, half hands kind of person. So um, and I think moving a little bit more towards manager. So basically, when a project comes in, I'm kind of helping staff the the job. So it's like, okay, we we think this project is going to need two art directors and a writer or two art directors and two writers. I'll kind of help with that. and, And then I'll just kind of be providing oversight and guidance as those projects happen. So it's like, I'm helping out with brainstorming, helping, you know, check files to make sure that they're, you know, built correctly, uh, per the standards of the client, just basically just oversight. And, you know, occasionally, I'll still get in there and do some design work. So it's like, if we're a little understaffed, we've got some people out on PTO, I can definitely help out in those cases. But generally, just kind of providing oversight and guidance based on, you know, the experience that I've had working on the account. Hmm. And so how long did it sort of take you to get to that point within Hawkeye? Because I would imagine coming in, you kind of have to work your way up to that, right? Yeah. So I, um, I've i been an associate director, creative director, excuse me, for a year and a half now. I think it'll be two years in January. And so prior to that, I was a senior art director. And so a lot of what I was doing was uh, kind of the, the associate creative director level of things where I'm kind of having to kind of lead presentations and oversight on jobs. It hasn't changed much, but yeah, a lot of it was just kind of getting familiar with the company, getting familiar with the team, kind of establishing, you know, a name for myself on the team. And then again, just starting to do that, that next level of work that, you know, finally they're like, okay, yeah, you should definitely be doing this job because that's, you should be getting paid for this because that's the job that you've been doing. So (laughs) uh, (laughs) yeah. What's like a typical day for you working at, at Hawkeye? So a typical day for me now, a lot of meetings. So whether it's kickoff calls, like we're kicking off new jobs, status calls, um, just to kind of see what everyone on the team is working with and help kind of a lot resources for the different projects. We do a lot of kind of check-ins. Our, <laughs> our account is very agile, so they love to meet. <laughs> like they'd much rather over-communicate than things get dropped. And so um, we'll do a lot of like check-ins with, you know, internally with our creative folks, like, you know, like this is what, how the work is coming along. We'll give feedback. Uh, we'll do check-ins. Um, Capital One has their own robust creative department. So we'll do check-ins with them to make sure that the work that we're creating is, you know, meets the brand needs. And then we'll, you know, do check-ins with the client, you know, the business managers who've actually requested the work. So a lot of meetings, <laughs> you know, in, in between there, there's time for, brainstorms and occasional sketching, but a lot of it is just kind of making sure that things are moving properly, that, you know, creative folks have the help they need. So if they, if they're stuck on something or if they need an extra set of eyes on something, providing that support, but that's pretty much how my days go nowadays. What's something that you think people underestimate about your role? 
So when you're at like a CD level, and this may be me making assumption about that level, there's a lot more like strictly oversight. It's understood that your job is to lead and to direct. With an associate creative director, you're kind of in this in-between area where there's an expectation that if we get in a jam, you're going to have to help out designing something or laying out something. And so because of that, even though my workload may, it may look like, oh, well, Ronika's only designing on a couple of things. I'm actually overseeing seven or eight things. And so I think sometimes there's the, the assumption that because you don't see me doing the art direction stuff that I'm not doing direction. And so it's one of those things like I'm not, it's not like a woe is me type of thing, but it's something that I didn't realize about the role before I got into it was just that there's a lot of oversight takes time to make sure to check in with projects, to be able to switch on a dime to remembering like, okay, where are we at with this one? What kind of feedback can I give here that would be helpful presenting to clients, you know, just being able to manage if something goes wrong and, you know, like, how do you talk to that? How do you speak to that in the moment? There's just a lot of that kind of stuff that I think I wasn't cognizant of before I got into the role. Hmm. I've heard that from other folks that are that are kind of in advertising as well. So what you're saying definitely lines up lines up with that. I want to go more into your background. I know you're at, at Hawkeye, which is located in Dallas. Are you originally from Dallas? So I'm from Austin which is about three hours south of, of, of Dallas. So I didn't go very far. <laughs> okay. Yeah, most of my family is from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And my parents just kind of branched down to Austin and had me. And so I just kind of stuck down there while I, I grew up. And then I ended up back to Fort Worth uh, for school. Mm. Did you know early on that you were sort of into design and advertising and all of that? Yeah, so I always loved art. I love to paint. I love to draw. I love to, you know, sculptures. Always had a passion for that. Just always, I mean, I can think back to, you know, grade school and just being super into that kind of stuff. So I didn't necessarily understand like how to make a career out of that in terms of what design was, what advertising, art direction, all that kind of stuff. But I knew that I was really passionate about that. And so I, funny, um, I actually, when I was in middle school, I used to run track. And so pretty good at it. <laughs> you know, we were city champions my eighth grade year, which was very a highlight for me. Mm. Um, and then I got to high school. It's a different ball game with, you know, when you're changing sports in high school. And so there was a, a lot of practice, in, in, you know, for running track in high school. And I remember going home with my mom one day and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I was like, I want to just focus on my art. And my mom was like, well, if you, whatever you do, just make sure you go 100%. So she let me get out of track. And I really started focusing on art. So I was taking art classes. I got some AP credit in art that I was able to take to college with me. But yeah, I really, you know, I loved to create, to draw I used to joke that my favorite class in high school, other than art, was history class because it allowed me, you know, time to just draw. <laughs> I'd sit, sit in my seat and just draw during the class. And I loved that. But that's kind of where that that love started to kind of really strengthen. From there, I was like, okay, I want to go to school, to, to college, and I don't know, you know, how to do this. And so I was able to find a, TCU had a really good graphic design program. So I was able to get into that and, and the rest was history. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. Tell me uh, what your time was like at TCU. It was good. It's, you know, it's a small private school and it's, uh, there's a lot of money that gets poured into that school. I mean, they're, they've got a pretty good football program and it is, the black community there is pretty tight knit because, you know, I think there's only like 8% black students there um, out of the entire school. And so created some camaraderie that was nice. In terms of the design program, there I think I was the only black woman in my course in my coursework, but there were other black folks in the fine arts kind of studio arts kind of degree path. So I was able to make some connections with them. Some of them I still speak to to this day. So I think that overall with all of the creatives that I've met through my career, I do feel like it was a really solid education, a really solid foundation. It taught me design fundamentals, based an, an understanding of conceptual kind of advertising thinking. And I think it was just like, I've met some folks that didn't have one or the other, you know, who went to an ad school or a design school. 
And I just feel like TCU got gave me a really good balance of, of the two things. I'll say that that's where I had my first design job. I had a professor who kind of pulled me to the side one day and he was like, you know, Renika, uh, the dining hall is is hiring. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> what does what, that have to do with me? <laughs> he was like, no, no, no. He was like, they have a marketing department and they're hiring. They, they're looking for a designer. And so I think you should check that out. I think it might be a good fit for you. And it was great. It was, uh, I got to design posters and little logos for advertising around the dining hall. I got a free meal every day, which was amazing. And so that was like my first design job was at TCU. Nice. So, I mean, in a way, they really did prepare you kind of for getting out there working as a designer because you got a job working (laughs) for the for the college while you were there. Yep. Yeah, it was awesome. Nice. So when you you graduated, what was your early career like? I see you worked for an agency called Sonus. Tell me about that experience. Yeah. So that was like a, a privately owned kind of small boutique marketing agency. And so I think when I got hired, there was one other designer there and I think she left within a year. And so I was the sole designer there. Um, we had an account person and me. So it gave me a good like foundation of like, like these are all the things that are entailed with marketing kind of had to do it all. I learned like how to present to clients because I was the person that had to present, you know, I did the work and I had to present the work timelines, you know, budgeting, all that kind of stuff. I think I learned more in that experience than I think I would have learned just kind of being dropped into an agency environment uh, or a larger agency because there just wasn't enough hands. Like I had to do a lot of it. I left there to work at an ad agency and I worked there for six or seven years. And so um, it was at Maroc in Dallas. And that experience, high highs and low lows, I think that I got to work on a bunch of different clients. I got to do a lot of different types of projects. The range of work that I got to do there really was amazing. It was the aughts, the mid-aughts, the late aughts. And so there was a lot of, I don't know, the the reckoning that's happened in advertising over the last year or so, like that was not a thing back then. And so there was a lot of just kind of political, cultural things that just really just kind of wore me down. There's too many things to name, just random things that happen that I think if you talk to any black person who's worked in corporate America, they could probably be like, yeah, yeah, that that sounds about right. After the time that I spent there, I left that agency and I said that I was never going to work in advertising again. It's like, I don't care where I work. It's like, I'll be a postal worker. I'll work at the art museum. I don't care. Like, I I can't do this anymore. And I don't want to go back. (laughs) Like, this isn't for me. And so I ended up at a a greeting card company. Uh, so we did basically the B2B kind of greeting cards, the type of cards that corporations send out during the holidays. And so I worked in the marketing department there and got to lead. Uh, and also just to kind of see how things go from the business side. That's another thing that you don't really get to see when you're working in an agency is just the business side of things. Like how are some of those decisions made? How are our agencies received because you know we worked with some freelance agencies some of our projects and just kind of sitting on the other side of the table you know how does that how are those things received mm-hmm. and so I did that for a little while and then you know I started to get the itch <laughs> about potentially moving back into an agency environment and I'd said for myself it needed to be the right agency it needed to be the right environment I needed to feel safe I and mean, I don't mean safe in the sense of like boring, but safe, like as a black queer woman, am I going to be safe in that environment? Am I going to have opportunities in that environment? And so that's how I ended up at Hawkeye. Actually, I got interviewed by two women who were creative directors. And like, immediately, I was like, okay, this may be it. You know, I'd never actually worked with a female creative director before, you know, Hmm. in my entire career. And so that was a very big reason why I wanted to work there. And there are, there are a bunch of other women creative directors at Hawkeye, which was really, really comforting for me. What is it that appealed to you about going back to work at an agency? I miss the creative department. I missed having a team of other creatives that you could bounce ideas off of that, you know, could help push you and help push your work. I missed that. You know, I missed having, you know, writers <laughs> that could help me, you know, generate ideas and, and say it in a way a lot more concisely than I could say it. I miss all of that. You know, I missed the direction and just, you know, opportunities to just kind of solve different types of business problems for people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I missed all that, you know, I didn't realize it when I, you know, when I left that first agency, but I was like, yeah, I, I definitely miss when you don't have it. That's when you kind of realize like, yeah, there's some value in having people around you that are super smart and super talented and they can just help make your work better. And they also, they get it. It's like, you're not having to kind of explain and re-explain why creative is valuable and, and why it's important. And it's good that you sort of had that break after working for two agencies for a long time, you can yeah. kind of sort of separate yourself a bit from it. You know, there's that saying that hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So you're able to kind of then look back and say, all right, well, these are things I liked and this is why I want to have more of these things and maybe less of something else. Yep. You got it. Now you talked about, you know, encountering a female creative director and that's sort of what made you decide to, to work with Hawkeye. But did you encounter a lot of black creatives in advertising throughout your career? A handful, Maurice, a handful. Mm. Um, when I was at Maroc, I think there was about maybe five of us total uh, black creatives there. Like traditionally in advertising, I met more black like strategists, account folks, like relationship management folks. We had a few of those there, but creative, it was just kind of few and far between really. And it was very discouraging. You know, it's kind of like, especially, you know, I never saw anyone that outranked me, (laughs) you know, it was either a peer or someone that was like a junior level. It gets in your head a little bit because you're like, okay, maybe this is not a thing that women can do. Maybe this is not a thing that black women can do to be leaders, to be creative leaders. You know, I know logically that's not true. You know, I, I keep an eye on the industry. I know that that's a thing that happens outside of where I'm at right now. But, you know, when you're young coming up, you just don't know. It's like, man, this may be Maybe I have to go move account side so that I or move into strategy and, you know, that will allow me to kind of grow, you know, have advancement. But yeah, it kind of messes with your head a little bit. Mm. Have you found now that you're kind of more into your career in terms of tenure that you've encountered more black creatives? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I've gotten a lot more comfortable and confident with networking and you know, like I said earlier, there is a camaraderie that we have, those of us in this business, even if we don't know each other, you know, there's just like a little like, oh, yeah, yep, yep. (laughs) You know, you're probably fighting some of the same battles and trying to champion some of the same causes. And so, yeah, I definitely, anytime I'm out and about and, (laughs) you know, whether it's an industry thing, you know, an industry event or a conference or something, I'm definitely connecting with folks because you just never know, you know, you never know when you'll run into those folks again there may be an opportunity that you can provide someone or vice versa. And so, yeah, it's, I see a lot more now and I'm able to connect with a lot more now, which is really, really nice. You created a project called the unwritten rules, which you did in conjunction with a former revision path guest we had on the show before Alex Pierce, along with some other black creatives. Talk to me about that. Like how did this come about? Yeah. So this came about last summer, obviously, we had a just a period of months of just it was like a drumbeat of violence against black people, you know, shootings and police violence and intimidation and gaslighting. <laughs> and obviously a lot of that, the feelings of that kind of culminated with George Floyd's passing, murder rather. And so Alex reached out to me and he's like, hey, I'm gonna get some folks together to see if there's just something that we can do or create just to kind of get some of our feelings out about what's happening. And so I'm like, yeah, just invite me to the, to the meeting. <laughs> I'll be there. There was about 20 of us. And so mostly creatives, a couple of uh, strategy folks and the, you know, Hawkeye, like most agencies, you know, it's a predominantly white agency, but you know, the black creatives there, we all kind of have a side group chat and, <laughs> you know, we keep in contact with each other, like check in with each other you know, it was Alex and myself and Adam Johnson, who's a black copywriter at, at formerly at Hawkeye. He was at Hawkeye at the time, a couple of other uh, creatives. And we just kind of talked the black folks on the team. We just kind of talked, you know, we were like, what are we feeling? What message can we say? Like, what can we create? What can we do? And, you know, we were, we did some brainstorming. We just did some kind of really just brainstorming, like, what could we do? What could we create? We settled on this idea about these rules, <laughs> these unwritten rules that black folks all know, 
that, you know, the larger population may not be cognizant of. And we kind of in the conversation, it was just a little bit like, you know, what if we came up with, you know, you know, an encyclopedia or just a foundry of of these different rules? We talked a lot about tone because, you know, part of the thing last year that happened with a lot of agencies, immediately there was a lot of like, things are bad and here's your black square and we need to do better and we will. Okay, great. (laughs) Uh, That was like the universal. We need to do better. Okay. (laughs) You know, we've been telling you that for a while, but okay, I'm glad you caught up. And so we, we basically, tonally, we were like, these rules are not melodramatic kind of trauma porny kind of stuff. Like they don't make, as a black person, they don't make me feel anything other than, yeah, this is just the way we have to, these are things we have to know to stay safe and to avoid craziness. And so, you know, it was very similar in a lot of ways to, you know, we're doing some research on the green book. You know, if you read the green book or um, any of the green books, like there's a very matter of fact kind of tone about the fact that this magazine needed to be created to keep black people safe. It wasn't like a so-and-so got lynched yesterday. It was very much like, hey, if you're going to be driving to El Paso, here's a body shop that you can go and get your car service that won't be, they won't hassle you. Mm-hmm. Like very matter of fact. And so we really, that kind of tone kind of resonated with us. It made sense to us as black folks. Like, again, these are rules that we just have to know. And, and we thought it would be a great kind of matter of fact way to present, present these rules. One of the main things that we really wanted to do with it was not just to say, hey, these are rules that black people need to know, but the so what? It's like, so what is here is some data that backs up why this rule is a thing. Here are some things that you person who's reading this rule can do to help make this situation better. And so for all of the rules that we have, you know, that we kind of outlined, we came up with some different resources that we thought would kind of help pay off. You read this rule, here's something if you if you you want to get involved, here's a thing that you can do that can hopefully help make this rule not be a thing anymore to erase that rule. And so once we kind of solidified this idea, we did some design exploration. I mean, there's a designer at our, our agency. Her name is, is Rosie Uloha. I always mispronounce her name. But she helped kind of create the, the visual, the color scheme, the kind of the, the fonts, the visual direction for this. And from there, we're like, okay, we're going to build a website. We're going to do a social media campaign. We're going to start creating some things with this. And so from there, we started developing the website and we had a, an interactive designer, a web developer rather from the company who was able to donate his time to help us build this thing. And from there, it was like once we had the look established, you know, we started working on our social calendar because we did want to do like an entire social media campaign that's kind of tied to this website to kind of help promote the website And um, we wanted to do some user generated content, like we want people to write in about rules that they've experienced that we may not have covered. And, you know, the website ended up being pretty robust, you know, just from a researching standpoint, we did the audio, we did audio narrations of all the rules. So you'll hear my voice on the website in some spots. (laughs) Um, We really wanted to do like a full audio visual kind of multidimensional thing. And so, yeah, that's kind of the, the origin of it. You know, we did this on our own time. I do think the pandemic helped make this a thing. Um, I think had we been in the office, it would have been a little bit more challenging to kind of, hey, we're meeting on the fourth floor at four kind of thing. It's a lot easier to just, here's a Zoom link, let's link up. Just a lot of nights and weekends and some holidays just kind of churning on it and, and refining it and getting the content, the writing. You know, we we had some great writers that have kind of helped flesh things out, you know, oversight is what I was talking about earlier, making sure that the tone is right and making sure that we're not saying things that are improper. And so, yeah, it was just a, it was a big thing. And, you know, at a certain point we had to tell our agency like, Hey, this is the thing that we built. Um, Mm. And they were super supportive. It was really just a passion project that still going, still reviewing (laughs) social posts um, once a week. But yeah, it, it was a side of desk thing that took a lot of love and heart And we, you know, we wanted to do it for black people so that when black folks see it, they'll know, oh, we got you, you know, like you're being heard. You're not alone in that experience. And then we wanted to do it for the the broader population so that they know 
they see in writing that these are things that black folks have to be aware of and why. You said something interesting in there. I want to kind of, I guess, learn more about you said at Mm -hmm. some point you had to kind of let Hawkeye know that this was something that you were doing. Why is that? Well, we, we needed some support, you know, like uh, we needed some, like, I think part of it, we needed some legal counsel with some of the user generated content stuff, ideas that we were thinking about. And we wanted to be clear with Hawkeye that while we are all representatives of Hawkeye in our day to day, this was a separate thing. We don't want this to be the unwritten rules, courtesy of Hawkeye. Um, mm. And our CEO, um, Joe DeMiro, he's a great guy. He, he was very much from the get go, like, whatever you guys need, let me know. I will help provide it. We are here to support. So mm. whatever you guys want to do. And so they've been very, very just the right kind of support. We did want to do some promoting, you know, like Publicis has 70,000 employees globally. It's like, hey, can we get this on some of our interagency communications? And they were Mm. more than willing to do that. So we got some articles in our kind of our interagency ecosystem. They promoted it on our, you know, Hawkeye Social promoted it. And they basically were providing some promotional support, which was really, really, really appreciated on our part. But yeah, that was kind of the extent. One other thing that we definitely said we wanted to do from the get-go is like, we don't want to really submit this for awards. Like, this is not just a how to fix racism from an ad agency. It was like, we just so happen to work at an ad agency. And, you know, we're going to use the talents that we have just because we work in advertising to do this. But this isn't awards bait. This isn't a, a play to get advertisers to care about this cause. Like, we wanted it to be bigger than that. We wanted it to be for the general public to experience and react to. And so, yeah, that's kind of how we ended up where we are now. Where do you see this project going from here? Uh, so we have some things in the works. I'm not going to say specifically, but I probably should just to make sure we name it, claim it. Our social media kind of calendar, we've got that planned out through next summer. <laughs> yeah. And our, and our social media, you know, we're basically taking the idea of the encyclopedia and kind of expanding it a little bit. So you know, we have a rule breakers series, like these are people in history who've broken rules, broken some of those unwritten rules. We're doing definitions like defining, you know, what do we mean when we say defund the police? You know, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like sometimes just putting it in writing for people, making a record of it. We're not the first people to talk about the unwritten rules. We're not the first people to try to define, defund the police and why it matters. But those are the types of things that we feel like the unwritten rules should talk about. That's kind of the big thing that's continuing to happen. And like I said, we've got a couple of other things that we're working on (laughs) down the line. What's been the feedback so far from the project? It's been positive. The best feedback I've gotten, I think, was from my family who, you know, I've got black Texans, you know, grew up in West Texas, East Texas, like for them to be like, this is amazing. Like that says it, <laughs> you know, that it, it, it says it in a, it's beautiful. It says it in, a, in the right way. Like that's been the best feedback for me. It's been very, very positive, very, very affirmative. And it definitely does make the time and the love, you know, there's this moment when you send stuff out where you're like, I don't know how this is going to be received. You know, is, is this going to work on black Twitter? <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been uh, overwhelmingly positive. Um, and I think that's part of why we're like, okay, let's keep going, you know? That's good. I mean, I was reason I was asking that before about like why get your employer involved because it sounded like this was something you really were all doing as a labor of love, and I could mm-hmm. see how an agency. And I'm not saying this to like cast aspersions on Hawkeye specifically, mm-hmm. but I could see how an agency, particularly during this sort of time, would look at a project like that and try to like claim ownership over it. Oh yeah, in some kind of way, you know. Yeah, I- I'm sure there was probably a little twinge of because we, you know, there were some things that were presented to us, or we had to turn it down. It's like, hey, you know, we have this newsletter, and we went up like, no, we're gonna. It doesn't really align with what we're trying to do. It's like, oh well, let's. We're thinking we can create a training module that's ba- like, no, well, nope, it <laughs> doesn't really align with with the time commitment that we have for this, for that. Mm-hmm. There's definitely, I know that if it had been a particular, a specifically Hawkeye driven project, I think definitely there would have been, it would have, the rollout would have been different. 
and that's just the nature of they're in the business. Like they're trying to get clients. They're trying to show their clients that they are a different type of agency than they are in a lot of ways. Hence the support that we got for the project. I know it's a fine balance, but they were all very, very respectful. Um, our executive leadership folks, they were very, very respectful and very grateful that we did this and, and just very supportive of, you know, whatever you guys need, we're going to do it. We're going to help you make it happen. Nice. That's yeah. really great to hear. Yeah. yeah. Now, in your spare time, I noticed, you know, from going through on your website, you're quite the photographer. Uh, yeah. when, when did you first get into photography? So I've always loved photography, even back to when I was, you know, in high school, kind of picking up, figuring out what kind of art I wanted to create. I got my first camera in college. I'd had to take some photo classes for to get my degree and um, love it. You know, I loved being in the Lightroom. I love I shoot all digital now. So, you know, just love the ease of that. But I really got more serious about taking portraits when I was working back at the first agency that I was working at. Like this business, it's a grind. And so I don't think you'll meet a single person in advertising who, you know, creative who doesn't have some type of side hustle or it's like, oh, yeah, I do murals or I, uh, (laughs) you know, I paint, (laughs) you know. Um, And so that just ended up being the side hustle that, I really gravitated towards. And so I started shooting with my friends and then that it started to lead to some, some actual work, some paid work. And it's something that I've, I love to do. It's something that I've kept up with. I take classes and tutorials. I'm a part of um, uh, the black women photographers group. So I'm watching all of the, they have, uh, you know, speakers speak to us about, you know, working photographers who kind of talk about the business. And so I'm always just kind of soaking in all of that stuff. And I hope, you know, as I I get older, that that's something that I can retire into. Like, I would love to do that full time in my my golden years. Mm. When you look back at your career, and even to where you are right now at the moment, like, talk to me about mentorship. Like, has mentorship been something that has really helped you out throughout your career? Is this something that at the level you're at now, you feel you have to give back? Like, talk to me about that. So mentorship has always been valuable to me. I feel like I've only in the last like maybe four or five years been able to adequately provide it to others. Just I had to kind of get over my issues with advertising and be able to view it in a way to where I could actually impart words of wisdom or or good vibes on someone who wants to to make it in this industry. But, you know, I love it. I've worked with the Marcus Graham Project last summer to kind of, I had a couple of guys that I was mentoring. Like anytime I've been around black creatives, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm like, Hey, let's network. Let's talk. How can I connect you with something? Or, and so it's definitely something that I've, I've pushed this year. My group at Hawkeye, the, the team that I work on, we started a mentorship program with Dallas ISD. So there's a school here, um, locally, a high school. It's mostly predominantly black and brown. And we wanted to kind of teach them about advertising. We basically, you know, Hmm. kind of figured out that part of two twofold issue that's happening with black and brown folks in advertising, it's recruitment and retention, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, retention is like, how do we make this environment habitable for inhabitable for black and brown folks, make them feel like they have a sense of community and safety. And then with recruiting, like, do kids know what advertising is? A lot of us kind of backed into it. If you'd asked me in high school, if I wanted to work in advertising, I probably would have told you no, because <laughs> it sounded like, I don't know, it <laughs> sounds like suits and briefcases, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't know that it was something that I could do and still have creativity and, and also pay the bills every month. And so we partnered up with a high school in Dallas. And so we meet with them once a month and we just do like... <laughs> tell them about advertising. So we, at the beginning of each meeting, when we have rotating people that are, you know, kind of hosting each meeting, they'll explain like how they got into the business. Our session that we had the week before last, we talked about, we used the Apple's uh, shot on iPhone campaign to talk about all of the different roles in an agency that would help contribute to an idea like that, you know, mm-hmm. to help execute a campaign like that. And it was really cool. You know, we do quizzes with them, like to see, you know, what kind of things did they want to be? Do you want to be a strategist? Could you see yourself being an account person who manages the relationships, the client relationships? Could you see yourself being creative or a production, a production role? 
And so it's just an opportunity for us to just to kind of impart some knowledge and hopefully, you know, make some connections so that in a couple of years, you know, when those kids are in college, they've got a connection with us and we can help like link them up with someone. Hey, Mm -hmm. we do internships at Hawkeye, provide some opportunities for them. It's something we're really, really excited about. And it is, you know, I love working with kids. So it's just definitely fulfilling for me. I just recently stepped down. I was the co-chair of uh, my uh, uh, Delta Academy. I'm a Delta. (laughs) And uh, we have a, a group that we work with with middle school girls. And I've been doing that for like 10 years and finally, I was like, okay, chapter president, I'm going to have to step down because I'm I'm exhausted, but picked this up just in time. And so um, it's just fun working with them. And, you know, they're open to learning and hopefully we're planting some seeds that will grow into an understanding of the business and hopefully some pathways for, for getting into this business. Yeah. See, I think that's awesome on multiple accounts. I mean, one, you know, it sort of goes back to that old adage of, you know, you can't be what you don't see. So the fact that you're able to expose them to, you know, these career paths so early on gives them a sense of just knowledge to know that this is a possibility for them to do. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, also like that's the best way that you kind of learn is sort of by teaching, by showing Mm -hmm. other folks what it is that you know, and it can help you become a more just effective communicator and things of that nature. So, I mean, I think that's awesome. I mean, It's one thing, like I talk with a lot of companies and they're always like, well, we have to establish a pipeline and how do we do this pipeline and blah, 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 blah. And I never, I never liked the term pipeline because to me, pipelines always sort of like strip resources away. Mm -hmm. It's, It's not about putting things back into the place where you have discovered them. It's always about like, take, 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 you know, it's very kind of like, I don't know, like Western paternalistic in some kind of way, like doing that sort of thing. What you're doing, though, is sort of establishing this connection, you know, like you're kind of it's almost like you're planting flowers in a way, you know, exactly. Because, I mean, you're not recruiting them directly from, you know, middle school or elementary school or whatever to come work for the agency. But you're letting them know, like, hey, this is what I do in case Mm -hmm. you've never seen this as a position. This is the work that I do. And if it sounds interesting to you then this is how you can do it as well. You know, yeah, like that's, yeah. We, that's we what were, that sort of opportunity is what we're really looking to give the, to the next generation. Yeah. And, you know, we were looking at, we took a vote. We were like, do we want to focus this on high schoolers or colleges? Because, you know, we've got a couple of, um, of uh, HBCUs in Texas. Like we could work with Paul Quinn over in Dallas. And we said, you know, there is something really nice about talking to high schoolers, you know, who are still trying to connect some of those dots you know, as you said, planting those flowers, like we were like, even if let's say, okay, the goal of this is not to, you guys are going to be interns at Hawkeye sometime, but it's like, if we can figure out this framework, like we could hand this to other agencies, like, Hey, you're in Chicago. Like this is something you could set up with a local school in Chicago. Like, I think we felt like there was a void and not to say that there aren't other people doing this elsewhere, but we knew that, you know, here in Dallas, it wasn't being done. And so, or this way rather, um, because I've definitely worked with some other agencies before, but is there something unique and special that we can do just to kind of drop some knowledge just to, because it's like, there's a big push for STEM and, and business. And it's like, well, you know, that's great, but you know, we're at steam, you know, that a, that art, what if people have the creative, there's this little creative nugget, like black folks are hella creative. Brown folks are hella creative, you know, like if we can make that connection, you that are supremely awesome at editing TikToks, that's a production role. You know, you could make a lot of money doing that. (laughs) If we could kind of start to make some of those connections for kids, I think we felt like we will have done our part. (laughs) And, you know, obviously we're going to do more than that, but this is definitely kind of how we wanted to start it, start that conversation with them. Mm. Speaking of that mentorship, like who are some of the mentors that have helped you out in your career? Oh, man. Honestly, I'm kind of on an Issa Rae thing where it's been peers that have really helped me along the most. It's like fellow creatives who were in the trenches with me that gave me feedback, gave me encouragement. You know, I've had a couple of creative directors where it was just like, okay, this person is definitely like I had a creative director when I was at Moroc that, you know, I still keep in touch with today. We'll occasionally have lunch together. And he was uh, just very, um, just super brilliant, creative, and you know, and helped push me creatively. But yeah, a lot of it has been peers. It's been 
one of the writers that I work with on the unwritten rules, like he's helped inspire me and just a connector, you know, he's like, Hey, there's this thing that I found out about. You should try this out or let's go to the museum. I heard about this thing that's happening. Like to me, that stuff is, it encourages me because it's like being around super talented people. It just kind of helps raise you up a little bit, but just that friendship has been invaluable to me. So there's not like a, I don't want to like name drop anyone specific, but I'll just say that it's been a lot of people being in the trenches with me, peers that have helped push me and encourage me. And I do that for them too. Mm. What are you obsessed with at the moment? Oh, this is like in my personal life or in my work life? (laughs) Personal life. Oh, this is bad. So um, (laughs) my wife and I have been watching the have and the have nots uh, by Tyler Perry. It's on Hulu. There's like eight seasons of it. There's like 30 episodes a season. It's insane. We've been binging it. It's a soap opera. You know, I grew up watching soap operas. Me and my mom used to watch The Young and the Restless. And my grandmother and I used to watch it together. And so I kind of got out of that over the last like maybe five or six years because life just got too busy and I didn't have time to be watching soaps every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, we've gotten into this the last couple of weeks and it's just been insane. It's like like an addiction, you know, like we just got to get one hit tonight and then we'll, <laughs> it's like crazy. But yeah, that's, that's probably the the thing right now. It's not, you know, it's kind of crazy, but. I think I'm we've all honest. got, we've all got like a, an escape show that we sort of like dive into every now and then. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. <laughs> Especially during this pandemic. Like, I mean. Oh yeah. You, yeah. This fu- is a judgment free zone here. Like, we, oh yeah. <laughs> like, like, <hey>, look, <laughs> look gr- grab your creature <laughs> comforts good. wherever you can, you know, Absolutely. <laughs> I could take turn my brain off and set it on the table and you know just just zone out you know yeah do you feel creatively satisfied at this point in your career I feel like the last year and a half have allowed me to do things creatively that were kind of passion projects you know explorations just the type of work that I've always wanted to work on in my career and you know it really was A lot of it was the pandemic and just having the freedom, you know, the personal freedom to kind of do those things, to explore those things. And so, yeah, I would say I am feeling creatively fulfilled. I'm definitely thinking about the next five or 10 years. Like, what is that going to look like? Leadership is great. Being able to lead teams. I'm definitely doing more of that now. But, you know, the downside is that you're not getting to create as much, you know, you're, you're giving feedback and helping push other creatives to come up with really brilliant, amazing ideas. And so I think there's always a little bit of tension with that. It's like, you know, do I want to continue on this path where, you know, I'm just going to be kind of pushing and challenging and supporting, or do I want to kind of be in a position where I can still roll my sleeves up and, and do, do some of the work? I think I'm still I kind of go back and forth on that. Mm -hmm. But I will say, you know, between my photography and just the personal projects that I've gotten to work on over the last couple of years, I do feel like I'm getting a lot of the stuff in my brain out into the world, which has been nice and fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like what kind of work do you hope to be working on? I hope that I'm doing work that has positive impacts on the world. And so whether that is, you know, more pro bono work, I've gotten to do a lot of that over the last couple of years. And it's super fulfilling for me. Um, It's just it's merging the two things that I care about a lot, which is like, how can I help make things better out there? And how can I create and express myself? So I think I would love to do more of that over the next five years. You know, as I said, I'm kind of in a leadership role now, so I would like to continue that. I'm very much a let me pull some people up with me kind of person. Mm -hmm. And so that's a natural fit for a leadership. Like I just I'm trying to find opportunities for people like I'm trying to connect people. I'm trying to make sure that especially younger creatives don't feel grinded up in this business the way I did. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to feel like I got to quit because this isn't, I got to quit this stuff because it's not for me. You know, I want to definitely encourage folks and, and, and get them to find that right balance to where they are getting their fulfillment, they're safe and they're allowed to grow. I think that's any ways that I can help do that. That's what I want to be doing over the next five years. 
Well, just to, you know, kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and your projects and everything online? Yeah. So you can visit ronikapatterson.com. So it's R-O-N-E-K-A Patterson with two T's.com. I've got design work and photo work there. Uh, You can find me on the gram at Ronika P. And you can find me on LinkedIn too. Um, I think it's, you just search Ronika Patterson. I'll probably pop up. (laughs) And we'll also make sure to put a link to the unwritten rules in the show notes as well. So people can check that out. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love that. Awesome. Ronika Patterson, I want to thank you so, so much for coming on the show. One, of course, for telling us more about this project that I've heard about now, probably for the better part of a year in terms of it getting around in the world and getting around amongst other Black creatives, but also about, you know, just kind of giving your own story and testimony about being a Black creative in this industry. And that even if, you know, there are setbacks, you can still kind of find your way towards something that's fulfilling, which I think, you know, we all need to hear that from time to time. So thank thank you you. so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Maurice. This has been great. I'm so glad to get to talk to you finally and um, just uh, happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Big, big thanks to Ronika Patterson. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Ronika and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our wonderful sponsor, Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? Please don't be a stranger. We'd love to hear from you. So hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Instagram, just search for Revision Path, or leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let everyone you know know about the show because it really helps us grow and reach more people all around the world. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.